go and tell that long-tongued liar, go and tell that midnight rider, tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter, tell them that God's gonna cut them down. <laughs> Hello, my renegades. Welcome back to Rogue Radio. My name is Johnny Cash. <laughs> my name is Sarah Jane. <laughs> and you're just gonna have to, you know, put up with my nasty voice right now because I am... I'm bored, and I don't feel like, you know, being lazy right now, so let's go. Just wait until I get my voice back. Yes, be afraid. (laughs) You can tell I've got my personality back. I'm getting better. Oh, oops, what I do? <laughs> if you have any comments, questions, or concerns, feel free to reach me down in the description below. I have all the links to my Instagram, Facebook. Well, not Facebook, do I? My YouTube. I have a Facebook for Rogue Radio, but nobody goes there. I, I hardly go there, so I might exchange Facebook for Twitter or something else. I don't know. We'll find out. But anyway, yeah. You can find me on those platforms. Okay. First up is politics. Of course, let's dive into this swamp, shall we? Okay, so this is why society has trust issues with the LGBTQ. This is the prime example why. Alright. I actually got... I caught wind of this uh, from a friend of the family who uh, shared this. And I was like, see? See, this is what's what's going on. And I hate it. So, anyway... Adoptive gay couple charged with sodomizing their adopted sons also pimped them out to local men and sent out videos of them raping the boys. Full horror of mystery. Um, I'm sorry. Full horror of mysteriously the couple's sordid lives revealed in jaw-dropping court documents. All right. I'm so sorry. I sound so gross right now. Give me a second. Okay, let's read this real quick. So, Zachary worked for a local branch while William worked at a local government uh, customer service center. But somehow the couple were raking in 7500 a week. Alright, um, they also built their dream home in an area where similar properties sell for $900,000. Friends and relatives were at a loss of how they made so much money. In August, the pair admitted to a range of heinous sexual crimes, including rape and forcing their sons uh, to perform oral sex on them. After a midnight raid, on their home during which one of the adults was hauled naked from the house. Damn right. Um, 
Now, thanks to an investigation by Town Hall, it has emerged that not only did the sick pair abuse the boys, they also stand accused of offering them um, to other local men. Yeah, these two do look like local pimps. Like, that's awful. William and Zale... William Zale Zulek Jr. and Zachary Zulek were once the darlings of the LGBTQ scene in Georgia. Now they're facing uh, life in prison for raping their adopted sons, offering them to local pedophiles, too. evil. Hunter Clay Lawless, 27, and Louis Armundo were taken into custody on charges with the boys in August, but their names are only now being made public. It's unclear whether they ever met the boys or had any sexual interactions with them, but Lawless told police that he was invited to the home multiple times by Zachary Zulek after meeting him through a friend on Grinder. He was arrested for child porn, uh, or after child porn, investigators traced a large cache uh, to his Gmail address. Lawless told police Zulek uh, contacted him through Snapchat, telling him he planned to... Uh, fuck his son uh, that night and warning him to expect videos of it. This is why children should not be involved in the LGBTQ. This is why. Cops found photos of uh, and videos of Zachary Zellick raping the boy on Lawless on Lawless's phone and computer according to the arrest documents um in one message zachary allegedly said i'm going to fuck my son tonight stand by there's so many ads on here i'm sorry guys give me a second um sanchez the other local man is also facing a string of unrelated child sex crimes Lawless lives with his mother and was shockingly released on a $25,000 bond after his August arrest. Sanchez um, is in custody on a range of charges. He is obsessed with anime and gaming, according to the social media profiles, and stands accused of trying to coerce a 13-year-old um, relative, uh, into sex. A relative, I'm sorry. Um, I will get better at reading later on in this episode, I swear. <clears throat> it remains unclear, uh, what led the police to Zolik, or to the Zolik's, but a family member spoke to Town Hall about them at length. That relative said they had concerns about the company uh, the pair kept, especially around the boys. Uh, Before their August arrest, the pair lived a comfortable life in Atlanta, thanks to Zachary Banks' work. 
or Zachary's bank work, I guess. I don't know. Um, the pair remain in custody awaiting their next court date. But, okay. See, this is why I, along with a lot of other people in society, have trust issues with the LGBTQ. <clears throat> you want to make sure that kids are involved in the LGBTQ when they really shouldn't. They just, they should just let them be focused on being kids, okay? This is why we want to protect our children from the LGBTQ. This is the main reason why, okay? There are tons of celebrities out there that have said that, you know, sexualizing children is okay. Um, I guess one of, like, Demi Lovato's best friends, who's a drag queen, said, like, a 12-year-old can be sexy. Fuck you, you're a pedophile, you need to go to jail. Stop. Just stop. And, you know what? I won't completely blame them. I mean, I will. I will completely do it. Never mind. I will. But... It's also society's fault for normalizing this shit. It's society's fault. We have so many people wanting to involve children in learning about kink, masturbation, uh, being nice to people who love kids who are pedophiles, um, learning about gender equality and sexuality and all that shit. Kids don't fully understand that. And they shouldn't because they're kids. Let them be kids. They should not have the responsibility to comprehend what you are going through mentally. I, I just don't give a shit. Kids need to be protected. Period. Okay. I'm really starting to like Ted Cruz more and more when it comes to politics, but Ted Cruz explains what to keep an eye on in investigations into Joe Biden and Hunter Biden. Senator Ted Cruz, Republican of Texas, said during his podcast, he has a podcast? Oh, okay, shout out. Uh, on Monday, that the key thing to watch for is to determine if the Department of Justice is trying to protect President Joe Biden if they try to keep criminal investigations um, into uh, Biden's son, Hunter Biden, a separate issue altogether. It came after Hunter Biden has been under criminal investigation for the entire length of Biden's pres presidency, while Biden only uh, recently came under criminal investigation over handing classified material um, while he was vice president in the Obama administration. Uh, there does seem, there's still, sorry, there does still seem to be, to any, to many of us, a disconnect between the prosecutor in Delaware and Hunter Biden and some of the tax issues and everything he's looking into and now what's happened with a special prosecutor that is looking into these classified documents, co-host Ben Ferguson said. When you start looking at these connections, they, uh, the way that you're describing them is how, uh, are these two individuals not going to uh, interconnect at some point 
uh, and say, here, I have something that you need to see or something that I need to see. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Cruz said that the situation is like a game of poker where a player will have tells where they inadvertently give off a slight sign indicating that they have either been dealt a good hand or a bad hand. The tell from his Department of Justice, this Department of Justice, um, as to whether it is trying to be political to protect Joe Biden and Democrats on these issues is very simple. If they are trying to keep Hunter Biden and Joe Biden altogether separate, they are engaged in politics, not law, uh, Cruz said. If they are trying uh, to say they're totally different, they're totally separate, if they want uh, the Hunter Biden investigation uh, to be about, well, did they, well, did the guy do drugs, violate tax laws, did he do things that affect poor, troubled, uh, that is, did he do things that affect a poor, troubled guy with serious substance abuse issues? Um, anyone focusing on that is doing it for a reason, and that is to, uh, insulate the big guy to insulate Joe Biden, um, Cruz continued. Uh, look, my interest in Hunter Biden is not his personal demons. The reason is an issue of public concern is the extent of which, uh, Hunter Biden implicates his father, Joe Biden. Uh, the president and the vice president uh, in official corruption. And uh, so it is the connection between the two when they're examining Hunter Biden. They need to be examining what was it that Hunter Biden sold to Bershima Bers- uh, um, for a million bucks a year. What was it that Hunter Biden sold to the Chinese? Oh, Burmese. Burmese, yeah. Okay. Um, to these Chinese communists for millions of dollars a year. Okay, yeah. Children. He was trafficking children. You do realize that, right? Um, it's a father-son business. Okay. Why do you think that Joe Biden has so much access to little children? We have seen countless times how Joe Biden has pedophilic behavior towards little children. Okay. Hunter Biden was caught having sex with underage kids. The footage is on his laptop, and now we can't can't track the laptop. Uh, they were trafficking kids. That's all I know. But anyway, Cruz noted that while the special counsel's mandate is to focus on the classified document scandal, it is also to be needed and to be asked who might be examining them illegally and whether Hunter Biden is selling access to the document. Um, If the special counsel from the other side of the issue puts blinders um, on a 
or and refuses to examine the connections to Hunter Biden. Uh, that would raise the very strong implication that the special counsel is trying to politically protect the White House, Cruz said. Uh, it is a matter of public concern. Um, it is the intersection between the two and the face of it screams corruption. Yeah, I agree with that. This isn't necessarily politics, but we all know that shootings and um, horrible events such as that do get politicized after it's been done and over with. So before I get into this story, my thoughts and my prayers go out to the families that have been killed or maybe maybe killed or maybe injured in this um Lakeland, Florida shooting, and um, I will do everything I can to speak respectfully in this um, little segment, this little section that I'm going to be talking about it. So, targeted mass shooting rocks Lakeland, Florida suspects at large, and this happened yesterday. Um... A mass shooting rocked Lakeland, Florida on Monday afternoon, leaving at least 10 people injured, two of them critically so. Um, According to a report from CNN, there may have been as many as four shooters in a a dark blue four-door Nissan um, that pulled up to the scene prior to the shooting and drove away immediately after it was over. The vehicle slowed, did not stop, and the four windows went down. It appeared to be occupied by four shooters in the vehicle, Lakeland Police um, Department Chief Sam Taylor explained. Um, They started firing from all four windows of the vehicle and shooting males on both sides. Taylor said that the police believed the shooting was targeted and noted that the blue Nissan had uh, temporary bags and was uh, the subject of an ongoing active search. Um, We will be out most of the night trying to figure out who these individuals are in the vehicle, Taylor said. Authorities found an undisclosed amount of marijuana at the scene, and Taylor said um, police have theorized that Uh, There may have been uh, sales going on at the time of the shooting. Whether that has significant, um, that is significant or related is um, unknown. So they don't really know if the sales on the the weed that they found was related to the shooting. Um, According to Monday afternoon press conference, um, four officers were on the scene just one minute later after the calls came in reporting the shooting and they were able to locate three victims and have um, them transported to local hospitals. The remaining victims were transported to the hospital and in uh, personal vehicles 
after reportedly suffering non-life-threatening injuries. Okay, well, at least they're- I, I'm glad none of them have, um, been pronounced dead. Uh, I'm, I'm very glad for that. Um, they did say that it was non-life-threatening, but it does say up here that they were in critical condition, but... Surveillance video from a nearby location caught audio of the shots as they rang out on Monday afternoon. And um, there are two or three videos that I want to play for you guys too. So, Gun control advocates quickly attempted to tie the shooting, uh, which police believe was related to the drug dealing uh, that was allegedly happening at the scene to efforts by Republicans in the uh Florida legislature allow residents to carry concealed weapons without a permit. Uh, okay, see now that that's a problem. I <clears throat> I don't hate guns. Uh, I believe that everyone should have a gun. I do believe that the right person should have a gun, and that anybody who is currently mentally ill, dealing with a very um, judgment. If they cannot judge a certain situation because of their um, mental illness, they should not have a gun. They there should be um, there should be extensive processes in order into owning a gun, especially practicing with the gun. You need to go to the shooting range, know how to use it, because if you don't, then you're just negligent and you're a dumbass handling a gun. There's a reason why we need permits is because a permit shows that you know how to use a gun, you're allowed to have a gun, and you're allowed to conceal. Um, in Ohio, you're allowed, you're, you can't have a, a mental illness and have a gun at the same time. It just doesn't mix. Um, in Ohio, you have two separate licenses. You have a license to own a gun and a license to carry and then a license to conceal. So a license to carry and a license to conceal are two different licenses that you have to get. So um, when you end up going through the extensive process of owning a gun, there your um, mental health has to be checked out you have to practice with the gun in order to know what you're doing. And if you want license to conceal, which a lot of people do here, they have the license to conceal their gun, they are able to get that permit. Um, but yeah, um, everybody should have a license, a permit to own a gun, carry a gun, and conceal a gun. There should never be any exceptions, and there shouldn't. People should not be lazy with this law. I understand what the Democrats want is to take all the guns away because nobody's responsible. But that's not entirely true. Um, I just think that the right people should have guns, and um, yeah. That's all I really got to say. But Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz, Democrat of Florida, 
said, My heart aches for the victims' families and whole community. America, um, Florida endures too many mass shootings. Um, but don't, don't miss the sick reality. The As Lakeland cops or copes, Jesus, I'm sorry. As Lakeland copes with the tragedy, Governor Ron DeSantis and Florida GOP announced plans to put uh, more guns in hands of untrained residents. See, I understand her frustration, though, because everyone needs to be trained. Everyone needs to have a permit in order to own a gun. Nobody should be, like, willy-nilly just getting a gun and shooting people. I understand her frustration. Um... So yeah, I understand that. But anyway, gun violence is uh, the leading cause of death for children in America. In Lakeland, children uh, had just exited their school bus nearby before the shooting. Turning Florida into the wild, wild west will lead to more death and tragedy. Tell state lawmakers we want safer communities. Congresswoman Kathy Castor, Democratic of Florida, added. Congresswoman, or I'm sorry, Congressman Richie Torres, Democrat of New York, weighed in as well, saying, Just now, a mass shooting in Lakeland, Florida, has left 10 people injured. Yet, Ron DeSantis wants people to freely carry firearms without a permit, which will cause even more guns to fall into the hands of even more mass shooters. House Bill 543 was introduced um, in the in the Florida House on Monday and would allow owners to carry concealed firearms without applying for a specific concealed carry-on permit. Um, The background checks and the requirements all are all the same. Uh, It'll be the same honest people and the um, other states that have done this had no problems so that's why we're all excited about seeing this happen A.W. Peterson uh, gun shop owner Carrie Baker said okay yeah no everybody should have a permit everyone should have a permit everyone should have a background check everyone should be trained and I'm kind of surprised that Ron DeSantis would would be doing this like you know, it's irresponsible. But here we're going to listen to the police report or the press conference. About 3.43 this afternoon, the Lakeland Police Department started to receive multiple phone calls of a shooting that had just occurred in the 900 block of North Iowa at Iowa and Plum. Within one minute, we had four officers on the scene. They located uh, three victims who were shot on the scene and uh, several victims the officers were told had been transported via personal vehicle and were no longer on the scene to Lakeland Regional Health. Uh, Three of the victims were transported as I said by emergency medical services. Um, They were all adult males described as between the ages of 20 and 35. We have two that as of the last report are in critical condition One uh, is in surgery, and the other is uh, either in surgery or headed to surgery. Um, 
one was uh, shot in the abdomen and the other one was shot in the uh, face or the jaw area. Um, the other eight victims have non-life-threatening injuries. So we initially notified you guys we thought we had nine victims. Now we had another one as we were at the hospital. Another gentleman walked up and presented himself, and he's got a, uh, a ricochet wound. So now we're up to ten victims. This is what I can tell you that we've learned so far. Um, apparently there was a dark-colored uh, Nissan four-door pulled up, uh, didn't slow down. I just looked at some ring uh, cell phone video 30 seconds before I came down here. There was a four-door uh, Nissan, and I'm going to show you a photograph of that we that we took off the site. I know it's blurry. We will certainly try to get you additional photographs as we can, and better photographs and something that's not as blurry. Um, but it is a four-door dark blue Nissan with dark tinted windows and a temporary tag. Um, the vehicle slowed; it did not stop and the four windows went down. It appears it was occupied by four shooters in the vehicle and they started firing from all four windows of the vehicle and uh, shooting uh, males on both sides of the street. Obviously, after the shooting, the, the vehicle left at a high rate of speed northbound on Iowa Avenue, made an eastbound turn on Memorial Boulevard, and we are actively searching for that vehicle now. Um, we have reason to believe that this was a targeted event, that it was not a random act. Um, we did locate a quantity of marijuana at the scene, which would indicate that um, obviously there were some narcotic sales or sales of marijuana going on at the time. Um, and whether that is significant or related to this, it's unknown right now. The detectives are still trying to get through that uh, process. <clears throat> I there is a surveillance video but I don't think that that would be very I don't know wise to put it on an audio podcast because you can't actually see the video but um yeah once again my thoughts and prayers go out to the victims subjected to this violence Y'all know what this is. It's just random stuff that Sarah Jane finds interesting. So let's just do that. Because I find this kind of like a break from the reality of politics and stuff like that. So this is why I put this here in like the very middle of it, of this episode. Okay. these are 20 psychological tricks you can use on people so number 20 is getting information so if you have a friend that struggles to open up to you tell you how they're feeling or even um, give you simple information this trick is a perfect way to get that information out of them in full detail ask them a question and if they respond partially where it feels like they're hiding something, simply keep eye contact and remain silent for a few seconds. Ooh. The silence combined with eye contact will make them uncomfortable. Ooh. 
Um, they'll do anything to break this tension, even if that means giving you the information they were holding back. You know, my therapist used to do that to me. <laughs> I'm not even joking. Like, I'll express everything to her. But when she wants to make a point in our conversation, she she would um, just look at me in the eyes with this look on her face. I, I, I keep on telling, I kept on telling her, like, because she's not my therapist anymore. I hope she's doing well, though. Um, but... Uh, every time she did it, like, I was like, man, you got that look that you just, I don't know what it is, but it just makes me feel like I need to tell you more and that you're trying to make a point and everything. And she's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> so I've experienced that. So let's see. Number. So remain silent for a few seconds and they will most likely continue to talk. Oh, okay. That's cool. Number 19 is the snack man. Okay. Um, if you are in a group of people or even just with one other person and you feel like conflict is about to break out, try this. Eat. <laughs> I am that person, though, in a conversation. Like, if we're all sitting down at a restaurant, my focus when my food gets there is that I'm going to eat. Okay. I can't eat and talk at the same time. That's just me. I have to eat. I, if I order something and I'm really hungry, you have to eat it, man. Just don't talk to me. I will eat. But people who are eating usually feel comfortable within their environment. Eating is a calming activity and will likely help um, soothe out conflict. Man, I had a vitamin water. Where'd it go? If someone is angry with you and you start to eat, this will help keep conflict at bay. Um... This fact was originally discovered after two people were fighting and one guy stepped in between them whilst eating a slice of pizza. He was coined the snack man. <laughs> that was cool. The stalker detector. So here's number 18. So this is something that I need to know. Uh, do you ever get the feeling like someone's eyes are on you and they're intently watching you maybe you can feel somebody stare on the back of your head yes if you want to find out whether or not they were watching you try the simple psychology trick yawn I always hear this like the key to yawning is like when you yawn other people will yawn that means they're empathetic people and that's how you know you can spot a psycho in the room. Is that if you yawn in a, in a room with a group of people and they don't yawn back, or one person doesn't yawn back, they're the psychopath. Or they don't have empathy. And it's like, yo. Um, it also means, like, that person is very close to you, or they really like you, or they find your presence calming and stuff like that. It There's a lot to it, and it's so weird. It's... The smallest thing is like yawning. Like that's something that people react to and they yawn again. Like it's it's cool, okay? <laughs> Make sure that they can see you when you yawn. After you yawn, turn and look at them. If they're now yawning, you know that they were watching you. This is because yawning is contagious. And I yawn a lot. I don't think I've ever really seen except for like maybe my coworkers that I yawn. They do that. 
if I see me yawn. Try it. Watch a video of someone yawning and see if you do the same. In fact, even while writing this section of the article, I find myself <laughs> yawning uncontrollably. <laughs> I actually had to pause the recording so I could yawn. <laughs> wow. This is a great trick for anybody who wants but if someone is showing interest in them like a crush or so on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Number 17 is destroying earworms. What is that? Ever had a song stuck inside your- Yes! Ever had a song stuck inside your head? I know you have. The melody just keeps replaying over and over inside your mind and you can't quite seem to remember which song it is. And while you can't remember it, you keep trying to remember, which leads to you wasting a huge amount of time trying to remember the name of something uh, incredibly pointless. Yes, yes, I've had that happen before because there was a, a tune from um, one of the new Need to Breathe songs and it went da 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 Da, 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 da. And it was so beautiful to me, but I was like, for some reason, I, I listen to Need to Breathe every single day, but for some reason, <laughs> that tune escaped me. Like, okay, I know this is from a song that I recently listened to, and I found out that it, it's um that one song, um, I don't need silver lining, I don't need so much more. I just need room to be wrong sometimes. That's all I'm hoping for. Listen, you listen to Need to Breathe. It's great. Okay. Um, anyway. Um, well, here's the common psychology trick you've been waiting your entire life to hear. Think of the end of the song, not the beginning or the middle. The end. Your mind will continue to think of things that are unfinished or incomplete according to the Zignark effect. Therefore, if you think of the end of the melody, the song will complete and your mind will reset. Ah, oh, interesting. What if you can't remember the end of the song, though? No. Um, this will uh, release the song from your mind so that you can get back to focusing on something productive. Okay. Number 16. Always agreeable. When people... Or no, want people to agree with what you're saying? Oh, I would love that, but I feel like I, I would feel dirty if I manipulated them into doing that. <laughs> All you have to do is start nodding whilst you're saying the thing you want the person to agree with. The nodding action makes the person start to believe that you're, what you're saying is actually true. The And therefore, uh, they will most likely begin to nod as well and agree with you. <laughs> That's crazy. It is true though. Like It is a, a body language thing. So like if someone lies and they start nodding their head when they know it's um, what they're saying isn't true. Hang on. When someone is lying, okay, like, let's say if they had a yes or no question and they said no, but they lied, um, their head will nod yes. The body language, that's the body telling um, the person subconsciously, like, no, you're lying. Because usually someone who is telling the truth 
will shake their head no while they're saying no or nod their head yes when they're saying yes because they know that they are sure. A lot of the time when someone lies, their body gives out some sort of tell. So I kind of understand that. So like if you end up like mastering the art of lying and matching your head movements to it, I'm, I'm afraid of you, dude. This can work in certain situations where you might need to make a good impression on someone, but don't get greedy. This won't work for everyone. Yeah. Conversation conditioning is number 15. Hmm. I'm not sure how much use this trick is compared to... I'm sorry, I just hear my husband... That is annoying. I know what he's doing. <laughs> he's watching uh, somebody do one of those uh, wood-burning uh, videos. Like, you know how they do that? It makes this really weird high-pitched metallic noise in it. Oof. Anyway, I'm not sure how much of this is useful, so okay. When you're having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with somebody, pick a word that they say a few times. Then, as they say the word, give them a positive affirmation, a smile, a nod, whatever it may be. Okay, so that's interesting, because yeah, we all have like our favorite word in a conversation. Mine is honestly, or because, or, you know, something like that. Um, as long as they recognize your action as a positive one, they'll begin to use the word all the time. The effectiveness of this trick will usually depend on how much of an interest the person has in you. True, very true. Um, number 14 is clearing a path. The chances that you are often in crowd, crowded places... Uh, <laughs> wait, is this about being in a crowded place and you just like clearing a path? Y'all, all you gotta do is fart. <laughs> That can be an annoyance for a lot of people, including me. Um, sometimes people aren't walking um, this, the same pace. They're standing still, or there's so just so many people you can't move. Yeah, oh my god. Today I was at the grocery store, and I, I was trying to get a box of raisins, okay? And this lady uh, just stopped in the middle of the aisle. Like, not in the middle of the aisle, sorry. The beginning of, like, the aisle, the entrance of the aisle. And she was trying to figure out whether or not she wanted to go in there. And I was just standing there like a dumb idiot. Because it was, the whole um, aisle was, like, blocked by two carts. So there was some someone coming the opposite direction and she was going in. So I, I just kind of stood there. I was like, okay, please make up your mind quickly. Because I don't want to look like an idiot that's, you know, following you. Because I'm not. I just want my damn raisins, okay? <laughs> Here's a pretty obvious yet effective trick that you can use to help clear yourself a path. Just look in the direction where you want to go. That's it. Really? What? Don't look at the people around you, the environment, uh, your phone, your friends. Just look at where you're headed and people will make an effort to move out of your way. Okay. Um, the reason for this is that normally people will look at your eyes and if they can see uh, what your vision is fixed on they 
have a better understanding of your mission and will naturally move out of the way. Give it a try. Reducing the risk of conflict is number 13. If you're in a group gathering or meeting and you think someone is likely to become aggressive towards you, sit next to them. <gasps> oh, I'm doing this. I'm doing this next time. I'm doing this next time. I'm at work. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Next time. Just ne I'm doing it. Okay. Oh my God. I, I have the power. <laughs> I have the power now. It's very easy to show anger towards someone when they're sitting on the other side of the table. But if they're uh, sitting next to that person, then it makes things harder and more awkward to do so. Firstly, you have to turn your body. Secondly, there is an intimidation factor. And thirdly, sitting next to each other makes things more personal. And if you're unable to hide within the group's circle, it gets more difficult. Okay. Number 12 is rock, paper, scissors. Rock, paper, scissors is a psychological trick. I knew it. Maybe you don't, or maybe you do play this when making bets, choosing or a uh, particular person to do an unpleasant task. Maybe you don't. But if you do, there's a little psychology trick to help you win every game. I need this. <laughs> Ask the person a question right before playing the game. Right after asking the question, break out the rock, paper, scissors chant. And they will most likely pick scissors. What? Nuh-uh, really? Number 11 is shoot for the stars. When you want something from someone, be it a certain amount of money or an item you're selling, um, or want your kids to eat more vegetables, aim ridiculously high. Start by suggesting an amount that is much higher than the amount you want. When the person says no, uh, which they should say if, they're, if you're given a high enough number, then you ask them for the real amount. Um, the other person will feel bad for already having said no and will be more likely to accept your offer this time around. Interesting. Being memorable. Memorable. Alright. I think everybody wants to be remembered at some point. This is number 10. Um, this little psychology trick can be incredibly useful for if you're um, trying to stand out and give people a clear memory of yourself or um, the time you spent with them. It's said that people remember the beginning and the end of something um, the clearest. The middle, however, is where things might tend to get a little blurry. What does this mean? Well, if you're setting up a time for an interview, um, try and make sure you're either interviewed first or last. Ooh, okay. If you're going on a date, try picking the beginning or the end of the day. And whilst on the date, make sure to set a strong impression for the beginning and the end of the date. Interesting. Trust mirror. I think this, I think I know this. It's like when someone likes you, they mirror the uh, body language. So let's see. If you want to build people's trust more uh, quickly, 
This can be a very effective way of doing so. When you're striking up a conversation with them, try mirroring, mirroring their body. Jesus. Mirroring their body. Okay. Um, don't do this uh, in an incredibly obvious way, otherwise it probably will put them off more than anything else. However, subtly mirroring, mirroring people's body language subconsciously makes them think you're in sync, which works very well for building trust. Learning whilst teaching... Is number seven? Is that it? Number seven? We're on number eight. We're on number eight. Okay, a lot of people don't realize this, but people learn best when they're teaching others. This means that if you take your learning process one step further and teach someone else after you've studied and practiced the information you will also significantly benefit. The three steps is researching and learning, practicing and then teaching. Um, and it makes a lot of sense, think about it, to teach someone else you have to have all the information at hand. You'll also have to realize that the press, the present um, in a subtle format that for the individual which requires more knowledge okay number seven is adrenaline rush all right this one um, of the simple psychology tricks you've probably already heard of before if you're on a date and if you choose an activity that involves an adrenaline rush this will help stimulate arousal in the brain and make the other person believe that they are really enjoying their time with you. Warm hands is number six. I never really liked when someone had warm hands. Like, when you shake their hand, it's like, what the hell have you been touching? Like, it, it just feels gross to me. I don't know. When you shake someone's hand for the first time, try and make sure you have warm hands. Warm hands means exactly that. A warm approach and introduction. Well, most of the time my hands are very cold, so... <laughs> Oops. Um, this makes you far more impressive and attractive to the other person, no matter who they are. Cold hands symbolize cold and poor introduction. Interesting. Eye color! My eyes are blue. With copper around the pupil. What? What is yours? <laughs> okay, everyone knows eye contact is important. Uh, when talking to someone and trying to build an impression, yet a lot of people find it hard to maintain eye contact. In fact, most people are very uncomfortable with eye contact, not necessarily uh, when listening, but when speaking to the other person. So when you're speaking with someone else, try to make a note of their eye color. That's why you'll make the right amount of um, that's the way you make the right amount of eye contact. Laughing admirers. Okay, that's number four. Let's see. When a group of people starts laughing with each other, each individual will glance at the person uh, they feel closest to. Aw, yeah. Um, this is a pretty good way to see who enjoys whose company um, the most in your office. Or within your group of friends. I don't know if I want to open that can of worms, though. And number three is eliminating haters. I love haters. You keep them in your life in order to 
make yourself feel good, okay? <laughs> I do it, it's great. <laughs> Let your haters be your motivators, bro. <laughs> um, if you think that uh, someone doesn't like you, try asking them for a really small favor, like borrowing their pen. If they don't like you, then they will be inclined to say no to your quest naturally. However, asking to borrow a pen is such a small favor that it's incredibly hard for anyone to say no to that. After accepting the request for a small favor, he will eventually come to the conclusion that you're okay after all. I don't know. Back in the day in junior high, that was annoying for everybody. Like, if anyone asks for, like, a pen or a pencil, they're like, why aren't you fucking prepared? <laughs> All right, number one is fatherly advice. If you're starting, or if you're stating something uh, to someone or a group of people and you don't want them to doubt your judgment, mention that your father gave you this advice. What? <laughs> people are much more uh, likely to believe the father figure's advice at first glance. But what? <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going there. I'm not going there. Bye bye. gonna take a break so I can cool down. Hopefully you can cool down. Alright, so give me a second. Me and my husband, we have been watching Cobra Kai, and we've been waiting for season six to come out, because season five left us so speechless. Um, if you guys are Karate Kid fans like we are, um, they have, um, what's his name, Ralph Macchio in it. They have, um, they have so many different, like, characters. I don't know all the names of them. I'm really sorry. I really am, like, a big fan. They have uh, one of my favorite uh, characters in there. His name is Chosen. <laughs> and I swear to God, I thought, I thought, I thought it would be the end of him um, at the end of season five because the stuff that he went through um, there. Oh my God. Like he's, he is my grandpa. I swear to God. Like, I love that guy. I love Chosen in here. But, um. It has been such a wild ride watching all five seasons that I kind of want to go back and watch them all because it was such an adventure. It was so awesome. You're very invested with every individual character. It is insane uh, how good this show is. But uh, Cobra Kai star Ralph Macchio just broke his silence about devastating season 6 news. Um, Hearst Magazines and Yahoo may earn commission or revenue on some items through the links below. Oh well, thanks for that disclaimer. I really didn't need to tell my fan, my my listeners that, but oh well. 
Okay, Cobra Kai fans. Um, the final season is quickly upon us, and the man behind Daniel LaRusso ha- <clears throat> has some words for you. In late January, Netflix announced that the show was renewed for season six, but it would be the last one. The shocking news broke all over the internet. Ralph Macchio took to Instagram to share his own words about the series ending, apart from the official announcement video featuring um, a montage of iconic clips of the entire Karate Kid franchise. He also wrote a short and sweet message. Uh, Here we go, fans. He captioned it on uh, January 20th. It's time to finish the fight. The sixth and final season of Cobra Kai is coming soon to Netflix. Wow. As one would expect, the Cobra Kai fandom um, immediately began uh, pouring their hearts out about the end of the era in his Instagram comments section. Sad to see it end, but what a hell of a ride. One person wrote, I believe we have to say goodbye to Daniel soon. Um, another lamented, um, it, this is wrong. The series should get at least 10 seasons, a different user added. I believe it. To be honest, I, I love the show so much that I want more of it. But of course, all good things come to an end. And I'm really sad. Like, we used to have shows that lasted, like, 15 seasons before it ended up to, like, end. But I don't know. Um, A lot of that kind of plays into, like, what the actors, what jobs uh, the actors get from uh, getting help. I'm sorry, I'm not explaining this very well. Um, Basically, this is the, the one of the reasons why some uh, shows don't get another season or um, they choose to close it is because um, a lot of the actors, they get debuted in shows like this and then they get more jobs and they have to focus on those jobs as well. But um, yeah, I mean, the story's about to end. I feel like it's just naturally coming to a close. I wish that it didn't because I love all of the characters. I love them all so much and I want to I want to know more about them. You know, I feel like part of their family now. It's it's not okay with me. I feel betrayed. I'm not included in the family no more. <laughs> um as folks are aware, Ralph's journey with the Karate Kid franchise goes back to 1984 when the original film debuted alongside co-star William uh, Zabka. The actor then starred in two more movies before betraying Daniel on the popular TV show. What's more, Ralph published a memoir in October 2022 about now or about how the uh, first film changed his life titled Waxing On, The Karate Kid and Me. Aww, see, I want to I read it now. Um, despite the show getting karate chops after six seasons, Ralph promised there is a lot more to learn from the series. As he said to U.S. Weekly in October 2022, the writers are listening to what viewers want out of Daniel, Johnny Lawrence, and all of their students. These guys, John uh, Hurwitz, Josh 
and Hayden, um, who write uh, this show, are just so great at having their finger on the pulse of what the fans want, he told the outlet. Uh, They are the fans themselves. Uh, There's more meat on the bones there, but it's got to be entertaining and organic, and I think there's plenty of places to go every season. I love that. Um, Honestly, I I am sad to see this uh, show go, um, because me and Terrence, we found it when it was like, midway so we had to wait for season four and five but now we have to wait for season six and it's like I'm kind of conflicted to watch it because I I want to watch it but then it's like I also want it to to last I want it to last So, we haven't done world news in a while, but I kind of want to do something different. I'm only going to do probably maybe two countries. I don't know. We'll see. Um, But I want to explore the lifestyle of different countries. We've talked about Scandinavia and the art of Huga and all of that stuff, but I really want to explore more of the world and, you know, what they do. So that's what we're going to do. Okay, next is Israel. We're going to do Israel's, um, you know, little culture and stuff like that. So Um, It is a fascinating and unique blend of cuisines and customs, ethnicities, and religions. The old and new, indeed, the best way to learn about Israel's culture um, and its idiosyncrasies is to experience it firsthand, and this guide should help you prepare for that. And so many hands here, man. Okay. Israeli culture is a concoction of influences. Israel is a true unique melting pot of cultures over the past 100 years or so from the pre-state era to post-1948 Jews have immigrated to Israel and brought with them their cultures and customs its Jewish population originates from all over the world Russia, Poland, Brazil, Ethiopia, Morocco, Iraq, Yemen and are just some of the places that Israelis originate from. Thus, from the cuisine and to celebrations, uh, contemporary Israeli society is a fascinating mix of Eastern and Western influences that have algamated um, to form some kind of shared Israeli culture. Add to that Israeli's sizable Arab, both Muslim and Christian population, and other ethnic minorities, and you can see the diversity that exists. Alright, Israeli rudeness is due to the Hebrew language? I have to learn this. What is this? Israelis are often perceived by foreigners as brash and aggressive. I have never met anyone who 
has been from Israel that has been brash and aggressive and mean. <laughs> Never. Um, however, most of the time, this is not the case. It is an outcome of the Hebrew language, which is characterized by its brevity and commanding nature. Oh, so they have authority when they speak. That's beautiful to me. You have to say things with your chest. You have to, you know, say things in order to be heard in a certain way. That's just, that's cool to me. But whereas English speaker um, might say, please, may I get some water? An Israeli would say, um, it's possible water? Oh, okay, so they just have different ways of saying things. That's fine. Um, an English speaker may not may say uh, no thank you in response to um, being offered tea while it would be acceptable in Israel to reply with um, lo, which means no. <clears throat> Politeness in Hebrew tends to come through um, intonation rather than words such as please and thank you, according to Guy Sharit, host of the popular Streetwise Hebrew podcast. Israelis also believe that um, excessive use of polite words displays a lack of closeness to the other person. Um, don't let the lack of niceties give you the wrong impression. Israelis are open and hospitable. Israelis rather or whether they are uh, Jewish, Muslim, Christian, or Druze, tend to be extremely warm and hospitable people. Walk into a carpet store in Daliat el Carmel, um, Israeli's largest Druze village, um, and you will most likely be greeted with kisses, handshakes, and sweets. Tell a Jewish Israeli you want to um, experience Shabbat dinner, but don't have anywhere to go, and you will be invited before finishing your sentence. Ah, if a worker um, comes around to your house to fix something and you fail to offer him coffee or tea, he will be offended. Ah, um. Hospitality is an important part of Israeli culture. Um, oh, that's so cute. No, I love that. That's that's beautiful. Um, it's westernized to an extent. Yeah, I will kind of say that just because um, I've had friends that went to Israel and they said there was a lot of people that were like selling the crown of thorns from vendors and it, it just depends on where you are at like where you go but Israel and especially Tel Aviv contains strong elements of western culture and English is widely spoken however it is uh, it still has its own fundamentally middle eastern culture which is especially strong when you venture out of the main cities and into the peripheries, peripheries, I don't know. Um, even in Tel Aviv, it is not unusual to see a horse and cart navigating busy roads and many aspects of Western etiquette don't exist, uh, such as 
waiting in line in an orderly fashion or waiting for people to get off trains before barging on. Um, another cultural idiosyncrasy is the is the staring. Israelis from grandmothers to teenage boys stare a lot. And even if you catch them and exchange eye contact, chances are they will continue. Try not to feel self-conscious. Wait, I want to know why, though. Is it just because they're fascinated? Or is it just because... I don't know. Israelis are highly affectionate people. Israelis, uh, particularly Mizrahim, Jews of Arab and North African descent, are inexpressive. Much more uh, so can uh, people tend to be in uh, Anglosphere. Okay, men greet each other with Ahi, my brother, um, while hugs, kisses, and endless um, endearments such as Chaim. I'm sorry, I know how to say that. Chaim Shelley, I think. <laughs> I know how to say life. Chaim. Chaim Shelley, my life. And Neshama Shelley. I can't say it. My soul. Nech. Uh, why do I feel like I have to put phlegm in there? I swear to God. Feel free to laugh at me trying to speak Hebrew. Neshama <laughs> Shelly, uh, which means my soul, are generously handed out. Um, Israel is a mix of secularis- secularism and religion. Contemporary Israeli society is fascinating, a mix of religion and secularism, and sometimes the two clash heads. Orthodox Judaism holds an institutionalized influence over various aspects of Israeli life, a result of an elderly compromise I'm sorry, an early compromise by the uh, socialist font founding Prime Minister David Ben-Gurion. However, despite its significant tussle with religious elements, secularism and liberalism dominate in Israel. Really? Okay. Um, I did not expect that. Um, examples of this can be found throughout the country from the wild Midburn Festival in the Negev Desert and the Middle East biggest gay pride festival in Tel Aviv hmm. to the government's firm backing of Israel's medical cannabis industry and decriminalization of recreational use. Oh, and pork dishes can be found throughout the country, even Jerusalem. No! No! (laughs) It's not kosher! (laughs) Alright. That was actually pretty cool. crazy this one is we're just going to read it so number one how you say you matters formality hierarchy and authority matter in french conversation 
thank you for telling me that. Like, now I know I've got the right article. <laughs> Alright. To show your respect, refer to the other person as vous. Formal you. Okay. Um, you will only ever use tu uh, if you know the person really well. If you are ever in doubt, use the, uh, and the person will let you know if it's okay. So these are language tips. <laughs> Fun. If you are ever in doubt, use vu. Okay. So, number two. Everyone says hello and goodbye. So, French is different from English in the way that you s that you are always expected to give a greeting before proceeding with a question or a statement. So, I guess their language is very kind of formal with greetings and stuff like that. They also have gender, like, their language has gender. But if you approach someone and immediately ask a question, you will likely come across as rude as a greeting um, is common courtesy. No matter how urgent the situation, make sure the first thing you say to a French person is bonjour. I hope I said that right. Well, whatever, though. Um, it's also expected that you say goodbye when you leave a conversation. Okay? Number three, people downplay compliments. In France, thanking someone after they pay you a compliment is viewed as extremely haughty. Really? Um, it's as though you're saying, thank you, I know, aren't I gorgeous, I'm amazing. Why? French culture places big emphasis on modesty and humility, so rather than uh, replying to a compliment with merci, try uh, something along the lines of vous êtes trop gentil. Oh, you're too kind. Okay, well, okay, I understand that now. Alright, natives should take the lead. When uh, interacting with natives, let them take the lead and follow in what they do. Um, if they use to, you can probably use it too. Um, if you lean in for bisou, it's best to greet them in the same way. Really, in any situation that you're not sure about what's culturally correct, you can probably pick it up from watching the natives. If not, you can also always ask. French students are well-rounded. Um, if you've met a French person before, maybe you notice they were remarkably cultured and knowledgeable. Uh, this is because the French education system places a heavy emphasis on teaching their students a wide range of topics, including liberal arts. From a young age, students learn the basics like reading, writing, arithmetic, but also theater, music, art, appreciation, and philosophy. Wow, that's amazing. Philosophy class flavors French life. So... Uh, speaking of philosophy, this subject is integrated into the curriculum at a young age. Um, kids read the works of philosophers like Jean-Paul Sartre, 
um, Albert Camus, uh, Simone de Beauvoir. I can't say it. Ugh. I'm trying. Uh, with such an emphasis on philosophy, it is no wonder that the culture tends to be very introspective. Well, sometimes this means French can uh, seem a bit existentialist. We also see that the reflected, or this reflected in the way that they value living simply. That's cool, though. Like. Their education system is probably the shit. Like, it's great. <laughs> Teaching methods are different. Teachers in French tend to be a little bit harder on their students than what they are used to in America. Some teachers may use a bit of humiliation in the effort to motivate their students to do better. Overall, French teachers generally may not be as gentle as other cultures, creating a common pattern of French of the French putting a lot of pressure on themselves to succeed. Uh, not at all, or not all French teachers are so tough. Some prefer gentler methods, but uh, the general theme is that teachers are stricter. French education is no longer held in such high esteem. Uh, for years, France's education system was regarded as a uh, as the third to or fourth best in the world, okay? Now its reputation is slowly diminishing. Students are getting lower scores on the program for international student assessment. Um, France is also uh, facing backlash for failing to meet needs of a variety of learners, particularly special needs students. Um, People complain that the teachers are knowledgeable in their field, but don't seem to know how to teach. Yeah, like going back to, you know, point number seven, where they say they're very hard on their students. Not every student is going to receive that way of teaching. So you have to really cater to each student individually. <clears throat> number nine, school isn't creative. Really? But you talk about how you appreciate art and literature. Man, pick a side. <laughs> French classrooms focus heavily on memorizing facts, completing worksheets, and reading books aloud in his class. So you may notice that the French have a tendency to emphasize critical thinking and analyzing over creative problem solving. Number 10. Croissants. I'm sorry, bread is everywhere. <laughs> Croissants and pen uh, chocolate, uh, chocolate bread for breakfast. Okay, cool. Sandwiches uh, made from baguettes. For lunch, rolls with dinner. The French are a bread obsessed group. And I must say, I love it. I like bread too. I would love that. Um, and let's be honest, bread is the best part of the meal in any country, but the French take it seriously. True. I like that. Alright. Those are the ten facts for France.
Okay, these are 10 facts about Norway. All right. Now, if I can find the actual... Yes. Is this the article? Okay, although our cultural heritage has been intertwined with new traditions and customs here and there, the United States, the influence of Norway remains strong. Um, ever since I... Okay, this person is talking first person. It's an article. So, ever since I was a little girl, I've enjoyed listening to the stories told by my Norwegian ancestors. Um, their tales of emigrating to the mid-1800s captivated me. Um, when my family and I journeyed to Norway for the first time, I felt very much at home. We meandered the narrow streets of Bergen, um, in Bergen, what? Visited uh, the Munch Museum in Oslo and walked along the pathways of my ancestors' farmstead and Grotness. Number one. <clears throat> what the heck is that word? Allemansiritin in Norway. Okay, the common law in Norway allows anyone to camp anywhere at any time. That's cool. Uh, for up to three days. <laughs> uh, you may even camp in private property as long as you're not in the vicinity of buildings and agricultural fields. Uh, Norwegians particularly take advantage of that rule. Um, during Norway's sun-drenched summer season, people jog... Um, on the trails, swim in the lakes and ponds, and camp in acre, in acre after acre of forest. Okay, yeah, they they do a thing called forest bathing. Is that what they say? But okay, regardless of whether the land is publicly or privately owned, the only restrictions are on hunting, fishing, fire building, and motorized vehicles. And, of course, you are expected to clean up after yourself. Um, otherwise, um, there's nothing preventing you from spending a night anywhere in the woods or going on a spontaneous trek through the deepest uh, nature you can find. Number two. Den Nor Norsk Den Norsk Turistforening I don't know how you say that, but that's my best um, in, impression of the Norwegian language. I'm sorry. Okay, you could also stay in one of the many cabins belonging to Den Norsk, the Norwegian Trekking Association. Okay, that that that's cool. Okay, these cabins are accessible to anyone for a small fee, and are scattered throughout the country. Um, the Norwegian Trekking Association. Uh, it's a simple, active, versatile, and environmentally friendly outdoor act with activities. Okay. It also works as works to preserve natural and cultural assets. Uh, many families also own their own um, summer house. Summer house, I want to say. Um, essentially, a simple summer. Uh, residence. I was right. Okay. Um, 
you will often see them near the sea, but they can also um, be in attractive areas uh, of the countryside. Most of the timber construction and uh, thus, I'm sorry, and thus suitable for year-round use. We spend a day with our family at their site. Okay. Number three, Huga. Everybody should love Huga. It is a great lifestyle. I don't know why I have a fucking accent. Excuse me for being stupid. Uh, undoubtedly, you have heard of the Scandinavian concept of Huga. While it has no real English translation, um, it is essentially uh, describes the feeling you get when you're truly comfortable. It is very nostalgic, uh, candlelight, anti-technology, and comforting traditions. And they're all Huga. I love that. I, I have a book on Huga. It's great. Okay. Number four. Les and... Yeah, I'm trying to read. Lefse and Lutfisk. All right. Uh, Lefse is one of our favorite treats during the holidays. Um, You make it with the simplest of ingredients, russet potatoes, flour, butter, and water. It is grilled. It is a grilled flatbread that closely resembles a tortilla in appearance with more delicate texture. I'm going to have to try to cook that. That sounds amazing. We delight in spending an afternoon or two each year rolling out to the Lefse dough and uh, make sure we enjoy a few warm samples throughout the day, um, ultimately covering every surface of the kitchen in flour. Hey, do you? That, that sounds so cool. Another holiday... Uh, <clears throat> Specialty is Lutfisk, uh, while dried cod uh, treated with lye must surely be the strangest culinary effort credited to the Norwegians. To be honest, I love fish and I will eat any kind of fish in any other, in any type of way. I don't care. I love fish. So I am willing to try it if someone is willing to make it for me. Um, it is truly a treat when prepared properly. Not everyone is a fan of Lutfisk, uh, but those who are defend it vehemently. Um, others go to the opposite extreme and claim it's a national disgrace. Okay. The Russ celebration. I'm saying it the English way just because I don't want to make a fool of myself trying to pronounce the word. It is a tradition celebration for Norwegian high school students in their final spring semester. Students that take part in the celebrations are known as Russ. The uh, Russ fearing. Oh, that wasn't too hard to pronounce. Traditionally starts around 20th of April and ends in the 17th of May. The Norwegian Constitution Day or Sidet Mai. Okay. Russ is... The Russ are easily um, identified by the distinctive colored overalls. 
they wear overalls. Those are usually red, but are sometimes black, blue, white, or green, <laughs> uh, depending on the graduate's uh, area of study. Oh, that's cool. Uh, when we visited in 2011, um, a cousin gave me her Russ card. Uh, which reminded me of the wallet size senior photos we shared with friends. Okay, cool. Um, while celebrations and parties can get a little out of hand, I think it's a fun tradition. That sounds interesting. Sandvika music scene. Sandvika is uh, located about 15 minutes from the capital city of Oslo and is known for its excellent music scene. Popular Norwegian musicians include uh, Livy Brothers from Bergen, Norway. Uh, what did the fox say? Oh, oh my god, yeah, that's right, they were Norwegian. Norway's classical music scene is also notable. You can visit Efford Craig's uh, house in Bergen and sit on a lunchtime concert between visits to the Concert Hall Museum and um, Composer's Cabin. Cool. Sinete Mai? Okay. Norwegian Constitution Day. Okay. Is the national day of Norway and an official annual holiday. It is observed on the 17th of May and sell across the country. Norwegians refer to the day simply as Sinet Mai. Um, Signed at uh, Edvosol or Edsvol in uh, <clears throat> May 17, 1814, the Constitution declared Norway to be an independent kingdom. The signing was an attempt to avoid um, ceding to uh, Sweden and Denmark, Norway's devastating defeat in the Napoleonic Wars. The celebrations consist of children's parades featuring an abundance of flags and national costumes. Um, that's cool. I like that. Uh, number eight. I always have to, like, think about the word before I pronounce it. Vishland Parken. It's one of the country's most visited and most popular spots. It welcomes over a million visitors every year. The unique sculpture park is the life work of the sculptor. Um, Gustav Wiegeland, uh with more than 200 bronze, granite, and cast iron sculptures. The sculptures, as well as various bridges, fountains, and well-known picnic area, is popular in this summer for sunbathing, games, and relaxation. The sculpture park is really cool. That sounds cool. Okay, number nine, the screen. Oh, wait, hang on. Oh, wait, no, never mind. I was thinking about Sweden. Sweden, people actually scream out their windows. They do. It's like, I, I don't know. It's a, it's a thing, but we're not talking about Sweden. This is what I thought that they were talking about. But perhaps Norway's most acclaimed artist, Edvard um, Munch, painted not just one screen painting, but a quartet and pastel on cardboard in 1893 in mixed media, oil, pastel, and tempera. 
or tempera. Okay, pastel and cardboard. Okay, um, let's see. The later version was stolen in 1994 and recovered in three months and again in 2004. Um, by May of 2006, three men had been convicted uh, for the theft despite the city of Oslo offering two million kron um, as a reward. The painting remained missing. In August of the same year, Mars Inc. Um, released an ad and featured the red M&M playing hopscotch within the iconic painting and offered a reward of two million M&Ms for its return and it worked? Okay. That... <laughs> I appreciate it. I, I actually appreciate that the lengths they went just to get the painting back. That's cool. Okay, number nine. Stav... Is it Stav? Stav churches mix Christian saints with Viking dragons. What the heck? Some of the most stunning churches in the world are also some of the simplest. Um, Stavi churches are wooden houses of worship that combine uh, the austere peaked uh, architecture of Christianity with the Nordic designs and motifs of Vikings Great Hall. Um, okay. You will find Stav churches throughout Norway using the same woodworking prowess uh, that made them uh, such adept shipbuilders. Vikings built traditional Stav churches uh, using nothing more than expertly crafted joints and joins, no nails or glue. Um, they only, the only stones uh, used were the base of the structures. Alright, that's cool. <clears throat> Thank you so much for listening. I will see you in the trenches next time. And yeah, see you.